Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. Hey guys, what is up? Welcome back to another week of the Chat with Traders podcast. For this episode, I spoke with returning guest Nick Raj, who was originally on episode number four. But in case you missed that episode, Nick is a systematic trend follower and momentum trader. He's most active in Australian and US equity markets. This time around, we discussed mean reversion strategies and why they may appeal to certain traders, the importance of trade frequency when developing a system, which then leads us into the characteristics of a robust system. And probably one of the big takeaways for myself from this conversation was hearing about Nick's emphasis on really trying to break and stress test systems rather than simply trying to find the quote unquote best system. And like the last few guests, Nick has also offered to answer any trading questions you might have. So if there's something you want to know more about, just go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash 64 and leave your question in the comments area at the bottom of the page. Okay, that's all for now. Let's jump to the interview. I'm your host, Aaron Firefield, and here is my guest for the second time, Nick Raj. Hey, Nick, welcome back to the podcast. How's things? Yeah, all good. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me back again. No trouble whatsoever. So for those who don't know, you were originally on episode number four. And on that episode, we covered plenty of really great topics. But this time around, we're going to talk more of the specifics about taking a systematic approach to trading. So we're just going to jump straight into it. Guys, if you want to hear more about Nick's personal story, then do check out episode number four and you can find that at chatwithtraders.com forward slash four. That'll take you directly to the episode. All right, Nick, so let's set the scene here. I'm going to ask you, what type of trader are you? And could you give us just the quick overview of your trading approach? Sure. Well, I have an extensive background in technical analysis and Usually technical analysis is associated with discretionary trading, but really there's two sides to that. You've got your discretionary side where you're looking at chart patterns and drawing trend lines and that kind of stuff on your chart. And then you've also got the quantitative side where 
you're using mathematical formulas, if you like. Um, they're all based on technical analysis traits. So, you know, we use price, derivatives of price, we use volatility, uh, volume, those kinds of things. So, I am a 100% systematic trader. Uh, I trade trend-following systems uh, for the majority of my funds and also a selection of mean reversion systems as well, but purely 100% systematic. Okay, and you focus on both Australian and US equities, I believe. Do you trade any futures as well? Uh, the only futures I now trade, I traded futures for the first 15 years of my life, but really the only futures I use now are to hedge my US exposure when required. Okay, and are those hedge positions, are they still a systematic trade or are they somewhat discretionary? Uh, somewhat discretionary. It's rule-based discretionary though. So, I, I have specific triggers that tell me to put a hedge on and take a hedge off, um, but it's not systemized per se. Okay. Now, you said right at the beginning there that you take, for the most part, a trend-following approach to trading. Could you just elaborate on what do you, how do you define a, a trend-following approach and maybe um, how would you differentiate that from momentum trading? Yeah, it's a pretty good question and they are slightly different, although based on the same principles. Obviously, the foundation principles of both trend-following and momentum is to cut the losses and let the winners ride. That's, that's the founding principle on both of them. The difference between the two of them, however, is that trend-following references symbols, whatever a symbol may be, so a stock or a futures contract or a foreign exchange pair in isolation. So, we would be, say, looking at Microsoft on its own. Is it trending up or trending down on its own? And do I put a position on based on the trend of Microsoft itself? Momentum is slightly different in that it references individual symbols against each other. So, for example, let's use the S&P 500 constituent list and we will say, right, out of these 500 stocks, which are the 20 strongest and which are the 20 weakest? And you would rank them and then you would buy the strong ones and if you were trading on the short side, you would sell the, uh, sell the weak ones. Okay, and when you rank stocks in this particular way, what time frames are you looking at? Like, are they, when you say they're the, the top 20 strongest, the top 20 strongest over sort of what period of time? Well, personally, I use 200 days. Uh, really anything from, well, really anything from 30 days outwards, pretty robust. Uh, generally speaking, under 30 days, you tend to get more of a mean reverting principle with, uh, with stocks. But um, three months is pretty common, six months is common, um, and all the way out to one year all works very, very well. Right, right. Okay. Now, as a systematic trader, I guess the goal is to repeat the exact same types of trades over and over again and having strict rules for buying and selling. So, why is, that, why is that idea so important to you? Well, it's very important to me because, well, at the end of the day, there's no point in having a systematic, systematic approach if you're not going to uh, follow the rules and place the trades. Let's get that straight. Um, and certain people struggle with that whole concept. You know, they want to think they're in charge. Now, I need confidence in what I'm doing. I need to know what I'm doing has a positive, positive expectancy over the longer term. And if I know that, then I can trade with complete confidence. I have literally, I have no fear. 
I have no reason to listen to anybody else's input. Uh, noise just has no impact. Uh, I've tested the system robustly, which I believe we're going to get into shortly. But if I have a validated system that's proven, then I have complete confidence in every trade I place. Uh, whether it's a winner or a loser, it doesn't really matter. So long as I understand that the strategy has a positive expectancy over the longer term, I completely remove uh, most of the emotion, most of the emotion. Right. I like that answer, Nick. I think you explained that really well. And we definitely are going to get into how to test for robustness and um, all that good stuff very shortly. One of the things you mentioned uh, as we were speaking beforehand that may be beneficial to talk about is actually sort of digging in a little bit to the mean reversion systems. First of all, can you explain what is a mean reversion system and why would someone trade this type of strategy? Yeah. So, in its simplest form, mean reversion is is buying weakness, if you like, and selling strength. Um, let's think Warren Buffett is a mean reversion trader. Essentially, that's what he is doing. He is buying value and waiting for those companies or that value to then come forward. So, he is essentially a mean reverting trader, albeit on the long side. Um, why would someone trade this type of strategy? Well, there's a number of reasons. First of all, diversification. And I think if you have a look at some of the top trend followers around the place, you will see that they have slowly over the years instigated other types of systems um, to offer diversification. Trend following can be a little bit lumpy at times and mean reversion tends to be a little bit more consistent. So, a mean reversion strategy can offer diversification with other strategies, which is one of the reasons why I do it. Second of all, mean reversion offers high trade frequency and trade frequency is a very, very important part of profitability because you get to exploit your edge more and more and more. If you have a strategy that makes 50 trades a year, well, there's only so much P&L you can pull out of that strategy in the year. But if you have another strategy that does, say, 500 trades a year, well, you can exploit your edge a lot more. And the classic example of this is a casino. Uh, casinos have a very small edge. The goal of the casino is not actually gambling. The goal of a casino is to get people into the casino in order for them to gamble, which is why they offer low-priced meals, they offer free alcohol when you're actually in there, they offer all the big glamorous shows, the big shopping malls. The goal is to get people into the casino and then get them gambling. And that's why they're open 24-7. Uh, so, people are open to gambling and therefore the casino can exploit their edge as often as possible. In fact, in Sydney, uh, it's a very good example, in Sydney Casino, they don't actually have croupiers now at the roulette table, although they certainly didn't the last time I was there, not that I go there all the time, but a croupier slows the game down. The croupier has to collect the money, spin the wheel, move the chips around, do all that kind of stuff. And that slows the game. So to speed the game up, they actually remove the croupier. Instead, the player just puts a credit card straight into a machine and it's all automated and it speeds the game up and it speeds their edge up as well or they get to exploit their edge that more many times in any given hour of play. So um, 
mean reversion tends to be shorter term in nature. For example, my strategies, even though they're end of day strategies, they have an average hold time of three to four days and they'll produce anywhere from 200 to 1,000 trades a year. Um, a couple of other very good reasons why to trade mean reversions, they tend towards a higher win rate and they can therefore be a little bit more comfortable for people to trade. You know, obviously, and I've explained this many times before, uh, we are brought up in a society where being right more often than not is rewarded. And it's very difficult for people to run a trend-following system that has a win rate of 40% or 45%. Uh, because it's, uh, you know, you, you have a lot more losing trades and that can be quite difficult. So, mean reverting systems tend towards win rates in excess of 60%, 65%, somewhere in that area. And that in turn also allows a faster drawdown recovery because you're exploiting your edge a lot more. I'm not saying the drawdowns is necessarily... Uh, smaller, but you can tend to recover them a lot quicker. And again, with a trend following strategy, you can be in drawdown. Well, you know, some of the great traders, they can be in drawdown for a couple of years. And for the average man in the street, well, that's not really acceptable. So, mean reversion can be a lot easier to trade. And let me also say something else that's just come into my mind now is, again, in, in society, at least today, society is uh, very reactionary. We want action all the time. Um, we want instant feedback, instant gratification. Sitting on a trend for six months, eight months is a pretty slow kind of laborious and boring thing, which is good, don't get me wrong. But for a certain type of person who does require more gratification, more feedback, then a mean reversion system will provide that because there'll be a lot more trade, you'll be in and out, you've got to do a little bit more work, etc. So that's something else that may appeal to a certain kind of person. Okay, that's, a, that's an awesome answer there, Nick. Couple questions just off your answer there. And this might be a bit of a, a newbie question, but so essentially what you're doing is you're trading the price back towards the mean, okay? How do you know where the mean is or how do you have some idea of where the mean price actually is? Yeah, I guess I'm a little bit different and maybe the term mean reversion is not that applicable, but what I'm looking to do is find points where you have a stock that is severely oversold or overstretched, if you like. There's no real mean per se, it's stretched like a, a rubber band. It's pulled to its maximum breaking point. And at that point, the probabilities suggest it's going to snap back the other way. So that's what I would define the way I trade mean reverting. So there's no actual mean. It's not like, okay, uh, it's not like what Warren Buffett does. I mean, his mean, for example, would be fair value of the company, correct? So he would be buying a company that is well under fair value and selling a company that he considers well over fair value. But all I'm kind of doing is is looking for price points that are stretched to a maximum um, and looking for that to snap back by some degree and generate some kind of a profit. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, are there, are there certain market conditions where a mean reverting strategy may be more effective uh, than other strategies? Oh, absolutely. Every strategy, regardless of the kind of strategy whether it be technical or even fundamental, 
will have periods of time where it works better than others. Um, every strategy goes in and out of sync with the market, okay? Warren Buffett's strategy is in and sync and out of sync of the market at different points of time. doesn't matter what you do, that's a fact of life. The unfortunate truth for a lot of people uh, is they try and find a strategy that works well all the time in all market conditions and it just doesn't happen. So once you can overcome that and understand that your strategy doesn't have to be perfect all of the time and you can make very good money regardless, then that's a big step for people moving in the right direction. It's a, it's a big step for people to overcome that fact. So mean reverting systems, first of all, I only trade them on the long side, okay? So uh, in the US market, I will actually stand aside when the market is trending down. So for the last few months, for example, I've actually been in cash just waiting for the market to turn around. In the Australian market, I do trade the mean reversion systems regardless of market direction up or down. So ideally, the I guess the ideal situation for a mean reversion system is a market moving sideways or slowly moving up. A market that moves fast on the upside doesn't allow me to actually get in and I will underperform. But a slow creep higher is probably the ideal situation or a sideways market would be ideal. So, for example, last year, 2015, my US mean reversion system uh, produced a return, I think, net return of about 145 or 15%. And what was the S&P? I think it was pretty well flat or down a little bit last year. So, um, it can work in a sideways market, but I think a slow creep higher is the best. Right, right. Okay. Now, you made an interesting comment there in your answer about how you will trade both directions on the Australian markets, but only long on the uh, US markets. So, is there any reason behind why you don't go short US equities? Oh, sorry. I didn't make myself clear. Um, I only trade the Australian and US markets on the long side. I don't trade short, and I'll explain why I don't in a second. Uh, But what I do in the Australian market is I trade long when the market is trending both up and down, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. So, in the last two or three months, for example, I haven't been trading the US market because it's been trending down, but I have been trading the Australian market because it's been trending down. Okay. So, just to clarify why I don't trade on the short side, I used to and uh, I stopped in 2009. Um, There's a couple of reasons. First of all, I've never really come across a strategy that I'm 100% not confident with, but happy with, if you like. I can find strategies that uh, make a profit trading on the short side, but the risk-adjusted return is such that it really doesn't appeal to me. The second reason, and probably the most important reason, is back in 2008, the Australian regulators banned short selling. Now, what's the point of having a strategy to trade on the short side when you need it the most, you're not allowed to trade it? Um, so, I just focus on the long side and another reason why we also trade majority on the long side is because it's easy for people to conceptualise. My clients may not be that sophisticated to trade on the short side, they may not be able to do it, uh, they may not be able to facilitate it. So, we just try and keep it as simple as possible and when there's no trading, we sit in cash. Okay, okay, fair enough. Now, another one of the things you'd mentioned to me is those who attempt to trade these types of systems, I'm still talking about mean reversion systems, of course, 
they often lack robustness. So in your mind, what defines a robust system? Yeah, uh, this is very, very important. And um, I can't stress this enough. You need to have a robust system. What is a robust system? Well, the first question is, why does your strategy make money? Okay, it's, that's a very important question. If you don't understand why your strategy makes money, you're going to find it very, very difficult to stay with your strategy when it goes a little bit uh, pear-shaped, which every strategy will at times. So, uh, if we go back to the easy version of the momentum or trend-following strategy, the foundation is cut your losses, let your winners run. Okay, You create a positive expectancy because you make a lot more money when you win than what you lose when uh, when you have a losing trade. Mean reversion, again, I guess the, uh, the analogy of the rubber band, for example, if prices stretch a certain distance and then stretch a little further, they are going to tend to snap back. You can't really look at any price chart in any instrument and see it continuously moving without some minor pullback at some stage. Um, and, and that's the basis of mean reversion. Uh, market noise um, tends to move it around a bit more. So that's the first reason to understand why. If, if I was to ask someone a, a question, why does your strategy make money? And they said, oh, well, when the three-day moving average goes across the 10-day moving average and the Bollinger Band is here and the RSI is there and volume is, is big and the moon is up, that's not a reason why your strategy is making money. Um, so a robust strategy is some a strategy that works reasonably well most of the time. Remember, strategies will go in and out of sync with the market. That does not mean it's broken. It will go in and out of sync with the market. Uh, a robust strategy is one that will work across a large variety of stocks um, or, or instruments. So, for example, I trade the exact same strategy in both the top 500 US stocks, so the S&P 500, and also in the top 500 Australian stocks. I use the exact same rules for every single stock in both those markets. Every single parameter setting is exactly the same. Now, that's a robust system. There's a thousand different stocks there and we use historical constituent data, meaning we completely remove survivorship bias. And we can go back 20 years and we can see that that strategy works perfectly well. There's no optimization on any individual stock. There's no optimization on any particular market. It's the same rules. So that tells me the strategy is very, very robust. To give you an idea of a non-robust strategy, and this is the trap a lot of people fall into, and again, they tend to fall into this trap because they want something to work exceptionally well all the time. So they will tend to optimize um, or curve fit. So a good example, uh, there's a gold ETF strategy that I've written about that's on the internet. And basically, uh, it buys the gold ETF if it, if it rallies more than 1.5% on a day, it'll buy on the close. And the next morning, it will exit the long and sell short and then get out of that position at the end of the day. Pretty simple kind of rules. And it works exceptionally well on this ETF. However, if you then take that rule, if that was a robust rule, then we should be able to apply it to the S&P 500 constituent list and it should give us some kind of positive outcome. And it doesn't. It's a, it's a terrible system. 
So that's not a robust pattern. It might be a pattern consistent with that particular stock or a particular stock, and that's fine. I'm not really disputing that, but I would never trade it because it's not robust. If it's not robust, it will tend to fail in the future. So the more likely success over the longer term is to find a robust system. The other important piece of information with a robust or defining a robust system is it must operate over a very large sample of trades. So for example, one of the main reversion systems that I trade uh, across Australia and the US, um, I can trade it on the Russell 2000 and it still shows the same profitability. It does about 600, 700 trades a year. Um, so going back, you know, 15, 20 years, you get a lot of trades in there and you still get the same kind of equity slope growth that, that you have with a robust system. So as opposed to a strategy that's curve-fitted and you might only get 20 trades in 20 years, that's just not robust at all because at the moment, it's just luck that that pattern is profitable. Okay. Now, in your answer there, you brought up survivorship bias. Now, um, can we just expand on that for, for listeners who may not be familiar with that term? Yeah. So, survivorship bias refers to stocks that have survived. So, for example, Microsoft is in the S&P 500 these days and it was in the S&P 500, say, back in 1998. Enron is not in the S&P 500 these days because it's now bankrupt, but it was back in the S&P 500 back in 1998. So Enron has not survived, Microsoft has survived. Now, obviously, you can think of the price patterns of Microsoft versus that of Enron will be completely different. One has gone up and one has gone down to the point it's bankrupt. So what we wanna do when we test our strategies we want to do two things. We want to test those stocks that are delisted to make sure our strategy has worked on those because those stocks are now gone. Um, but we also want to ensure that we're trading the same universe today as what we would have traded back in 1998. So for example, using a historical constituent list, we can see what stocks were in the S&P 500 back in 1998 and make sure we're trading those stocks. So if I have a universe that I trade, which I do, the S&P 500, I want to know that the S&P 500 I'm testing on back in 1998 was the actual 500 stocks in that list back then, including all the ones that are delisted. So survivorship bias will tend to dramatically in certain circumstances overstate your simulated performance and you want to get a very accurate performance data as much as you can and the only way to do that is remove survivorship bias. Okay, okay. So, does I that mean, make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. This may begin a little bit technical, but so as companies are introduced to, let's say, the S&P 500, how do you actually build that into your data? Like, you need to know the date that they came into um, that index. Is that right? That's correct. And okay. out and back in again. Some stocks come in and out of an index a number of times. Um, for example, uh, Regis Resources is one such stock that um, came into the top 100 in the Australian market and then has gone out again as it went as it fell away. So, if we're trading a specific universe, then that is important. If you're trading any stock for the heck of it, then it's not really important. Uh, but we want to ensure that we have that information and it is available. Um, 
uh, we use a, a data provider that makes that available and uh, it's, it's very beneficial, absolutely very beneficial. And there's only certain software packages that can cope with that as well. Um, and it does become quite technical because there's a few other bits and pieces in the programming code that you actually have to put into place to ensure that um, those stocks are removed for whatever reason at, at the right time. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, that was going to be my next question. Do you actually have to um, put these companies in and out of the data as the, as the dates line up or is that something that your data provider actually does for you? That's what the data provider does for us. Okay, okay, sure. And just going, just adding on to this, do you double check that data? Is that something that's required or I guess it comes down to the quality of the, the data provider? Yeah, look, we use a very good quality data provider. We've used them for a long, long time. They're excellent. If, if any of your listeners want to drop me an email later on and, uh, and ask, I'm happy to point them in the right direction. It's not overly expensive. There are, you know, there's numbers of data suppliers out there, but... Uh, the people that we use are exceptional. We use them and have used them uh, constantly. And, you know, we constantly track our real-time trading against our simulated performance literally on a week-to-week basis. So we have no hesitation in knowing that, you know, the data is doing what it's supposed to do. Excellent. Okay. So it's fair to say that you do need to be a little bit selective on who you choose as uh, a d- data provider. Look, it's it's if you're going to take this seriously, then you really can't skimp on things like data. You know, it's it's an old saying that I have, do you want to make money or you want to save money? If you want to make money, well, you've got to make a conscious decision to choose quality data, quality systems, quality software. If you want to save money, okay, maybe you can get away with using free Yahoo data, but you have a bad data point in that or you have some incorrect data, non-adjusted data, whatever it may be, then the cost in a trading, having a trading error is extensive. It can be significantly more than the cost of buying or acquiring good quality data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, those are really great points. Now, I want to pick up on something that you mentioned just a couple questions back, and that was the number of trades that a strategy produces um, and you said that it's very important that, you know, it, it has enough trades to have a large enough data sample. Do you have a personal preference about what may be too few or too many trades in a strategy? Well, I certainly don't think there can be too many. Um, the more data you have, the more likely the strategy is going to be robust. Okay, so the fact that the strategy does 800 trades a year um, is good. It might produce 2,000 trades a year, which is good, but um, the more is better. The less, uh, how can I explain this? Um, robustness is a function of how often or the occurrence of a particular setup or a pattern, if you like. The more it occurs, the more robust it is. Think about the sun rising and setting. Okay, I mean, effectively, that is a pattern at the end of the day. We know it happens at the same kind of day, time of day, um, and it's been happening for a long, long time. So, we can be fairly certain that it's going to happen again tomorrow, right? Um, so, the more of the occurrences we have in history, then the greater the evidence that the pattern will continue to reoccur and most likely continue to occur the same way as it has in the past. Without 
that frequency or without that evidence, then we can start erring on the side of maybe, just maybe, it was a fluke, okay? Maybe there's just a fluke pattern. So one of the biggest lessons I ever learned, and it's a little bit of a a sad story, um, I knew a guy, this is going back 15 years now, and he had this trading trading strategy that had generated about 250 trades in I think a 10 or 15 year period. And the results looked a little too good to be true, which is always a bit of a red flag. Um, I didn't know the ins and outs of the strategy itself, um, but it, you know, it looked okay. Well, he went and started trading that, and in one night, he lost, he had a $50,000 account, and he lost $60,000 in one night, and he has never traded since. And it turns out that that strategy was, in fact, about 20 different patterns in the S&P 500 futures, all of which had only ever happened a handful of times, and he put them all in together. And so basically what he had done is he had data mined the S&P 500 futures and found all these patterns with 90% win rates, but they were basically random patterns. And uh, as soon as one of those disproved itself, it blew his system up. Now, obviously, in his testing, he would have removed any patterns that blew themselves up in the past um, and that's part of the curve fitting and the data mining that takes place. It's very difficult to have that same occurrence if you've got 10,000 trades of sample. You know, it's going to be a lot more robust. So whenever I see a system that's firstly based on a single market, that's a red flag right there. A single market system tends to be, not all the time, but tends to be optimised. And then if the performance metrics Uh, through the roof, then that is a major red flag. And performance metrics would be percentage winning trades. If that really starts to move above 75%, I'd really start to question. If the system is only got 25 trades in a 10-year period, well, that's also a big red flag. Um, And other metrics like the profit factor, for example, if that's in excess of three, then again, you've really got to ask a serious question when you see a profit factor of 16, you know it's just an absolute curve fit data mining thing. And the only thing with those systems are they sell well to the public. That's what they're basically used for. Um, I understand there are people out there that trade single market systems and that's fine, but it's not something that I would do because I don't think they'd be robust enough to, to actually trade that. Unless, of course, they've got you know thousands of trades in their sample, then yes, but usually that's not the case. Sure, sure. Okay. Now, that's, that's an awesome answer again, Nick. Thank you very much. Now, continuing on the path of robustness here, I'd like to ask you about Monte Carlo simulations. Um, how does this help with your analysis? So, what is a Monte Carlo simulation? What role does it play in your analysis? Sure. So, a Monte Carlo simulation is basically the question, what if? What if the past was slightly different to what is shown, okay? And a Monte Carlo allows us to go and get an idea of the variance of what may have happened in the past if it had slightly been different. So, for example, we do a lot of stress testing on our trading strategies and some of this includes Monte Carlo. So, for example, one of the things we do is trade skipping. Let's say you've got a strategy that 
produces, uh, so for example, a classic problem with a mean reversion strategy is clustering of trades. You might get a big cluster of trades at certain points of time. And if you've got a big cluster of trades, then you can't take every trade because you don't have enough capital. So with trade skipping Monte Carlo simulations, what we do is we say, what happens if we take these 10 trades instead of those 10 trades? So it will give us an output of uh, a different number of scenarios. And the tighter that output is, the more robust the system is going to be. So trade skipping is not so much of an important issue with mean reversion strategies or higher frequency strategies. It is with trend following strategies because if you miss the one big trend, it can make or break your year. With mean reversion where we're looking to take um, small bites at the cherry all the time, it's, it's not so much important, but it still has to be tested. So for example, let's say my mean reversion strategy does 500 trades a year, but there are 3,000 signals. I need to know if I'd taken those 500 trades instead of these 500 trades, what would the outcome be? Uh, and that's what we're looking at when we're doing trade skipping in the Monte Carlos. Um, so that's basically what Monte Carlo is saying is what if the past is slightly different to what you've got there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the US markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, Nick. Well, let's move on a little bit and start to talk some more about um, actually live trading some of these uh, systems. So... To what extent is your systematic trading approach automated? Um, so, to give you an example, um, our US mean reversion strategy. Uh, so, what we where, the, where we where we start is it's it's fully programmed, and we literally push a button, and it will generate the buy and sell signals. But we can put our account balance. Well, here's the process I use. I put my account balance in my software um, and I push the button and it will generate the orders for me, do all the position sizing, generate the orders for me. Then what we do is upload that into an API and the API is connected to my broker. 
So again, another push of another button and it will place those orders. It doesn't matter if there's one order or 100 orders, it will place those orders instantly at the push of a button. And then that API will manage the positions during the night. So I'm asleep, I've got exposure to the market and the API will manage that exposure for me. So I say to the API, right, I only want to have 20 positions. I've just placed 100 orders, but I only want to be filled on 20. So when I'm filled on 20, cancel any other pending orders. So I'm only exposed to those 20. Now, the API also has a, um, uh, the functionality to exit any additional fills that might occur. So say, for example, I place 100 orders and I only want 20 filled, but on the open, the market gaps down 2%. In that situation, you might get, say, 30 fills and you only want 20. So automatically and instantly, the API will cancel all remaining orders and then those 10 additional fills that you've got that you don't want, it will automatically, and I'm talking within one second, turn around and exit those positions immediately. So it will always ensure that my exposure is managed through the night, even though I'm sleeping. So that's about as automated as I am. I can actually manage the positions direct from my initial software, but I don't choose to do that. I manage it with the API. Okay. Okay. Awesome. That's really cool to know. Now, in a live trading scenario, is there ever a time when fundamentals or macro events would cause you to step in and override your systems? I would say that if I was to override a system, it's not because of any macro or fundamental view. It's because of an emotional input. Um, Have I done it? Yeah, look, of course I have. Even though I've been trading for 30 years, there's always that time where you think, oh, this is not going to be, this is not going to be good. But that rarely, rarely happens. Um, Very rarely happens. Um, But it certainly does happen to less experienced traders, probably uh, quite regularly. It will tend to happen more to people who doubt their strategy. Um, But if you have a complete 100% confidence in your strategy, then you just got to stand up to the plate and swing that bat and put your trades in. That's, that's the bottom line. I mean, I've had situations where, you know, I've seen China down 6 and Japan down 6% or something and US futures are down 2% in the night market and I've got 100 buy orders to put in the market. There's certainly lingering down in my head, oh, gosh, this is going to hurt. But, um, you know, 999 times out of 1,000, I will go ahead and place those trades because usually that one time when I don't, it's going to be a stonker of a night and I've missed it. So, you're going to be damned if you do and damned if you don't. So, you may as well follow the system. That's what it's designed for. Okay. I like that answer. That's really good. When you go live with a system, how long do you actually expect it to last for? Like continue to give you an edge, uh, a trading edge. Like do you anticipate that it may only be good for a certain amount of time, whether that's, you know, a couple years or if it's truly robust, should it continue to work for, I don't know, maybe 10 or more years? If you have a truly robust system, it should continue to work um, extensively. Now, That's not to say that you can't learn more things about the market. You can't learn more things about your system. You can't learn more things about yourself and therefore you can make adjustments to that system. Um, I think every strategy is a work in progress 
we rarely make adjustments, but we certainly have made adjustments in the past to our systems because we've learnt new things or technology has changed, which has enabled us to test our systems in different ways. Um, so for a very good example of that, I can now strip out resource stocks from industrial stocks as an example, and I can test those different segments of the market because they're very, very different kinds of stocks. Most resource stocks, um, you know, they, they act very, very differently from uh, industrial stocks. We even see that in the fundamental world. There's a lot of fundamental investors, Warren Buffett being one, who will not touch resource stocks as an example. They will only touch, touch industrial stocks. So with the technology and data that we now have, which we didn't have 10 years ago, we can now test that and we may be able to draw conclusions that, oh, you know what, I really shouldn't be trading resource stocks with my trend following strategy because, you know, they act very, very differently to industrial stocks. Now, to some extent, that is a little bit of curve fitting, if you like. But again, I stress that so long as we have a significant sample of trades, uh, across all sorts of different stocks and we're using a robust system, then that should be okay. Um, the more you curve fit, the more you optimise, the more likely that the system is going to fail. You tend to hear people saying that all trading systems will break. That's generally because they've optimised it to start with. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a work of art. It's an ongoing process, if you like, of maybe making a slight adjustment here or a slight adjustment there. But you've got to look at the evidence of what's out there. I mean, you've got people like Salem Abraham, you've got Eckhart, you've got Dunn, you've got all these guys that have been trading trend-based systems. Jerry Parker, I know I think you've had him on your show. I'm not quite sure. But, you know, he's been trading the same style system, albeit slightly adjusted here and there, for 30 years. So, there's no reason why a good, solid, robust system cannot uh, last a whole lifetime. Yeah, Jerry Parker um, hasn't been on the podcast just yet. Um, I know he's been on Better System Trader podcast, right. um, but I've actually got an interview locked in with Jerry uh, later this week. So, by the yep. time this comes out, it'll be, it'll be a few weeks out. So, I'm really looking forward to that one. It should be good. I think, I think an important thing here is that too many people are trying to find the best system and that's the wrong way to approach it all. What you've got to do is try and break your system. And the more stress you can place on your system when you're testing it, try and break it, you'll get a lot more out of it. So, for example, um, uh, testing your parameter stability. Let's, let's use an example. Um, in my book, Unholy Grails, we use a uh, an index filter which defines the broader market. Now, let's say that index filter is 100 days. Well, what we want to test is what's the result if we change that by a certain amount? What if we change that to 90 or make it 110 or make it 150? How much would that change the result? So, you can increase the signal variance. So, changing all the inputs in your signal and seeing what impact that has. So, you might say, right, what if I move my signals uh, input parameters by 15%. Uh, what if I move them by 20%? What kind of an impact is that going to have on the bottom line? The other thing you can do to try and break your system is increase the data variance as an example. So let's say you've got a system that, uh, so some of my systems, for example, uses the opening price to exit a position. What happens if I randomize that open price by 10% and test back 
for 20 years. On each single day, the, the opening price is adjusted up or down randomly by 10%. What impact's that going to have? And that's the whole idea of trying to break the system, trying to disprove it rather than prove it. And if you can't break it, if you can't disprove it, chances are you're probably onto something that's reasonably good and reasonably robust and will continue to work reasonably well into the future. Yeah, that's an excellent point you bring up there, Nick. I think, I think that's very, very important. So, thanks so much for sharing that with us. How long does it take you, how long does it take for you to realize that a system you're trading is not performing as expected from your back testing and analysis? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, one thing that we do constantly, well, the first thing to understand is that a, uh, that a system will move in and out of sync with the market, okay? I've said this before. The fact that your system is out of sync with the market does not mean it's broken. Let's, let's use a, a simple analogy for that, right? Let's say you've got a long-only trend-following system. A long-only trend-following system is not going to do particularly well in a sideways market or a downwards market, okay? That's a fact of life. It is designed specifically to profit extensively when the market is trending up. And again, this comes back to why your system works. And it won't work if the market is going sideways or the market is going down, but that does not mean it's broken. It's like buying a Porsche, driving it up the beach and then taking it back to the guy, the dealership and saying, mate, this Porsche doesn't work on the beach. I mean, you just wouldn't do that. It's not designed to go on the beach. And same with a long-only trend-following system. It is designed to make money when the market is trending higher, which most stock markets tend to trend over the longer term to the upside, but there are certainly periods of time where it won't. That does not mean the system is broken. It means you'll go into drawdown. So when your system is out of sync at the market, you go into drawdown. That's, that's the payoff, simple as that. So that's the first thing to understand. If you can't ask or answer the question, why my system is not making money, then you have a problem. So if I'm trading a trend following system and I'm in drawdown, but I can see that the market is moving sideways, then I have nothing to worry about. That's just a fact of life. But if the system is, if the market is trending up and I'm using a trend following system and I'm losing money, well, then you've got a serious question right there. And if you can't answer that question, well, you've got a problem, you probably should stop trading it. So that's a philosophical way to look at it. Um, technically, what we do is we're always constantly running simulations side by side with our real-time trading. I literally do it weekly. I want to see that I'm getting the same number of trades, the same kind of general return that I'm getting every single week from the simulation and from my real-time trading. And I'll give you an example of where this has helped me in the past. Back in... Um, it was about 2011, I was trading a shorter-term momentum-style strategy. And my simulated results were, or my real-time results, were diverging from my simulated results. And I did all the calculations. I went all the way back and had a look at about three years' worth of trading. And I realized that slippage had started to increase so much so it was costing me 11% per annum. And that 11% basically meant the system was not viable anymore. So, and that was a liquidity issue rather than a system issue. Now, I worked hard to try and find a solution and I couldn't. Um, and basically, one of the things we've seen in the Australian market in, uh, in, you know, over the last 
or since the GFC really, is a significant drop in liquidity. And that increased slippage, so much so it invalidated my strategy. So that's, that's an example, a real-time example of, of where the strategy basically fell over or was not tradable. Now, I could have taken that and put it into the US market um, where there's a lot more liquidity. So we're always running simulations along the real-time. Uh, if there is a divergence, you've got to try and figure out why. If you can, if you can figure out why, then, then you are in a better decision. If it was a one-off event... Um, such as the 1987 stock market crash, well, you know, there's probably nothing intrinsically wrong with a strategy. It's just one of those one-off events that will impact everybody. Um, what you don't want to see is a slow divergence away from the simulated results over time. So you will have set benchmarks uh, using your historical performance metrics. And when you start to deviate away from those, then you know, you've probably got a problem. Excellent, excellent. Okay, brilliant answer there, Nick. Thank you very much. Now, I know listeners are going to want to know what software are you using for all this? So, can you share some insight on that? Sure, we use AmiBroker. Um, I have a programmer on staff and uh, we together will develop systems and, and whatever, but AmiBroker, it's, look, it's inexpensive it can pretty well do absolutely anything you want. It can automate processes. It can do explorations. It can do almost anything. As I said to you before, uh, we are able to do position sizing inside AmiBroker. It is able to format our orders so they can be sent straight to the broker platform. Uh, we had a corporate client, as an example, who wanted their own trend following strategy built, which we did. And they were managing money for clients. Now, one of their requests was that they had their dealer running the system on a day-to-day -day basis, but their compliance department wanted to do an audit of the orders the system was generating and the orders that the dealer was placing for his clients. So, AmiBroker uh, enabled us to do a um, CSV file dump straight into the compliance department's um, Dropbox, and that way they had every time the dealer pushed the order button, they were sent the orders, and then they could go back and see what orders the dealer had actually placed for the client. So there's quite a lot of things you can do with it. Um, I'm sure we haven't touched half of what it can do. It's a very powerful piece of software, um, and it can pretty well do anything you want. Okay. Now you mentioned you've got a programmer on staff there. Mm -hmm. um, what's what language is he working in? Is it the proprietary language of Ami Broker? Yeah, that's correct. Which is kind of similar to C plus plus. Okay. Okay. So is it for someone who hasn't um, touched that sort of thing before? Is it difficult to learn? Like, what would the learning curve of that be like? Um, well, we run. It's a good question. Um, it certainly can be a little bit daunting. Okay, but all good things are a little bit daunting to start with. And if you want to progress, if you, if you make the choice that you want to become a good systems trader, then you will automatically make the choice to learn how to do it. If, if you don't think you want to learn how to do it, then you haven't committed yourself to making that choice of becoming a good systems trader. So as an example on how long it takes, uh, we run a high-end mentoring course, which is a six-month, one-to-one trading system mentor course. And 
the first part of that course is learning everything about AmiBroker, learning not only how to use it, but also how to program it. Now, we've got students in that course who have never even owned AmiBroker, never programmed computers before, and within two months, they're pretty well able to do it. So, it certainly can be done. For some people who are a little bit more IT savvy, a little bit techy-minded, well, it won't take that long. Uh, But we've got guys there who've come straight from the mines. They've never played with computers before per se and they're up and running and programming that in two months. Okay. Now, with AmiBroker, we sort of spoke about data providers um, earlier. Does AmiBroker have their own data or do you use a a third-party broker source? Uh, I don't use a broker source. I use a data Uh, provider. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. (laughs) Well, a lot of people do use a broker source. I mean, you you can source data out of your broker. Um, but we don't do that. We use a data provider. So, yeah, it plugs straight into AmiBroker and we use um, premium data. Um, they're based here in Australia, but their clients are worldwide and they have a lot of hedge funds and a lot of institutional clients use their data as well around the world. So, that's premiumdata.net. Um, very, very good product. As I said, we've used them for a long time and highly recommend them. Excellent. Okay. And with the API management, do you use any other software for that side of things? Uh, We had our own API built. uh, It was built in Europe. Um, And, yeah, so that's proprietary to us. We, uh, you know, we do sell turnkey trading strategies. We have one mean reversion system, which um, I'll give you a link to shortly and people can, uh, can look at that system. But... You can use an API for that as an example um, and we can provide our proprietary API as part of that purchase to to trade that if anyone wanted to. So, we had it built. Um, we can have it built to do whatever we want to do. There's some pretty smart people out there, uh, but this one was built in Europe. Okay, excellent. All right, Nick. Well, last question. Now, I've had this come through on email um, a couple of times in the last few weeks. I think you might be a good person to ask this question to. What do you do for your retirement accounts? And is this separate from your, you know, active day-to-day trading? Uh, yeah, good question. The answer is yes. So, our retirement account, we use um, a trend-following strategy and that accounts for about 85% of the value of my retirement account. Um, and that's just in the Australian market. So, pretty straightforward, long only, trend following, trades about 50 times a year. Um, Then in our family trust, uh, we operate a couple of different accounts, which operate about four different other strategies, both mean reversion and momentum. Um, And the reason why we do that in the family trust is uh, generally... um, you know, because it's more income orientated, it's more active. Uh, one of the mean reversion systems I trade does about 800 trades a year. I don't think the Australian tax office would be overly happy to see that happen in my retirement account. Um, so, yes, uh, we have two different kinds of setups across multiple different accounts. Okay, excellent. And just to be clear, that, that trend following approach is something that you developed yourself? Yeah, that's correct. So, the trend following approach that I use um, we offer it uh, within our service. Uh, it's called the Growth Portfolio. And if anyone has read my book, Unholy Grails, there is a strategy in there called the Bollinger Band Breakout. Now, the Growth Portfolio is loosely, loosely based on that exact same strategy. We use the same principles as in the book. Um, 
and people can actually follow the signals within our service. So uh, you can trade right alongside me. We disclose our positions to our clients. You can see exactly what I've got um, and you can see exactly the kinds of trades I'm taking. So, you know, we're trying to be as transparent as possible with that. Right. Okay. All right, Nick. Well, let's bring this to a close. So, where can listeners go to find out more about you? Well, seeing we've been talking about mean reversion today, um, I do have an ebook on mean reversion, which has been downloaded uh, four or five thousand times. So, uh, if people are interested in taking a look at that ebook, it has a fully disclosed strategy at the end of that ebook, and that strategy is very similar to the one I trade. You can go to thechartist.com.au forward slash chat, C-H-A-T, thechartist.com.au forward slash chat. You can download that ebook and you can take a look at that trading system. Um, And as I said, very, very similar to the one that I personally trade both here in Australia and the US. Great. And you're also on Twitter? Also on Twitter at The Chartist. um, And that's a good place to contact me. Um, So, yeah. Excellent. Good stuff. Well, last question. Nick, would you be open to answering questions that any listeners may have in the comments um, on the website? Definitely. By all means. Any questions you have, um, by all means, happy to answer them. A lot of the time with this kind of stuff, there, there does require a little bit more clarification. So, more than happy to answer any questions anyone has. Good stuff. Well, I really appreciate that, Nick. And guys listening, if you want to ask Nick any questions, go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash 64 scroll to the bottom of the page and leave a comment, uh, leave a question in the comments area. All right, Nick, well, awesome to have you back on. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for doing this and let's talk again soon. All right, that's great. Thanks, Aaron. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders.